she's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. Are you feeling very Olympic today? Welcome mm. to episode 51 of The Body Serve. No, I'm not really. Still? <laughs> no, I'm just kind of glad it's over, to be honest. Olympic tennis. Yeah. Because you've been just listening and watching to too much gymnastics. Yeah, well, it. I only watch it once every four years. I think I've reached my saturation point. With the Olympics or with gymnastics? With hearing about gymnastics. I'm just here for the U.S. women's team. Like, I want to watch so much more of them. That is not true. You're also just as here for the men. Yeah. And thirst trapping all over them. But the American team did really badly in Rio. So, um, who do I like in the men's, though? That British dude. Oh, yeah. Max Whitlock. Love him. You um, like Jake Dalton. Yeah, but I didn't even, he wasn't even on TV. He wasn't in the individual all around. I haven't seen him at all, so I just have to refer to Instagram. That line of, I'm feeling very Olympic today, are you, is from Cool Runnings. Mm -hmm. And growing up in Jamaica and watching that movie and that movie being so popular, and very popular in Jamaica as well at the time, it's always stuck with me. And so 20 odd years later, I have some use for that line. Because I used to say it all the time growing up, mm. apropos of nothing. Now, tell me, did you realize that they were all American actors yes. doing Jamaican accents? There were and some local Jamaican actors mm. in the movie, not any of the main characters. Uh, yeah. But there were some. Uh, Cynthia, what's her name? Cynthia from Real Housewives of Atlanta. No. Her daughter's father... Leon oh, okay. is in it. I thought you were referencing Cynthia's Jamaican accent. No, oh my lord! Yeah, that's, that's beyond an deplorable. abomination. No, but Leon is in that movie. Yeah, I started out being very skeptical of the Olympics, and we've talked on the podcast quite a bit about how neither of us really feels that it's that worthwhile of an event for people to be upending their schedules. To make it happen, but I I thoroughly enjoyed, especially the back end of the tournament. Mm. Yeah, it definitely got better, and I don't want to be too harsh on it because obviously a lot of the athletes who are there take it very seriously. But so I don't like how it messes up the summer schedule. It interferes with tournaments who are you know here year in year out. They're an important part of the schedule. And it just totally rips apart their draws. Well, we saw that in Toronto. We experienced that firsthand. We're mm. in Cincinnati now, and that really hasn't been the case. It's actually been shocking how many people are actually coming. I'm seeing that Nadal's already in Cincinnati, which I'm not sure that that's even possible. No. I, I saw some fellow Olympian said that Rafa was turned away from a Chinese restaurant tonight. Yeah. So that has to be in Rio. Well, maybe he... Maybe he didn't wait for Andy's private jet. 
Yeah, so Rafa's still in the draw here. Um, Andy is supposedly coming, as well as Serena. I guess. I mean, Kerber is in the draw as well, right? Stan overcame his injury situation. Mm -hmm. He's in Cincinnati as well. And Novak is not coming. Novak was in Toronto, though. Yeah, so Cincinnati has sort of survived better than the Canadian tournaments did. I I guess because it's closer to the U.S. Open. Tenfold, I'd Mm. say. Yeah, but another thing about the Olympics that bothers me is that there are a limited number of spots per country. And so for most countries, that doesn't really make a difference. But I just, on principle, it bugs me because I feel like if you're the best, you should just be here. Are you mad that Coco and (laughs) Madison Brengel weren't playing singles? No. I feel like that really only would have been an issue if Venus didn't make the top four and she took care of that. So like four is more than enough, I feel. I just don't like why not just admit people based on ranking? Like, this is a professional is, sport that goes on for the rest of the year that doesn't need the Olympics. This is your Gabby Douglas bitterness. Yes, it spilling is. Spilling over. Because I really feel for her. Like, I feel like she had a very lonely Olympics. And maybe I'm just reading in more than what's there. You know, but a lot of people didn't want, didn't even want Gabby there. Like, they didn't think she belonged on the five-person team. The final five? Yeah. So, anyway. I was a little bit resentful that she wasn't allowed to participate in the individual all around. What are some of your other misgivings about Olympic tennis? Um, well, this is a common one. This just isn't me. Um, the crowds in Rio were not tennis crowds. I think they I were saw totally that, obnoxious. I saw somewhere that one of the umpires had to remind the crowd that, hello, this is a tennis match. Mm-hmm. In one of the early round matches, a fight actually broke out in the stands. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, you know, people are just making noise during points and booing and cheering people's errors. And it's just like, obviously, they're not like around the year, you know, year round tennis fans, which is fine. But I'm just not like if I wanted to watch fans act like football hooligans, I would watch soccer, you know, football or soccer. You're confusing people, though. When the draws came out for the Olympics, the big first round match that everybody was looking at was Djokovic versus Del Potro. And in two tiebreak sets, Juan Martin Del Potro got the job done. Mm, yes, he did. Or it was 7-5, 7-6. Either way, it was two tight sets. And Djokovic was out just like that. And both men were hugging, crying. Djokovic wept as he left mm. the court. Yeah, I think after giving so, like Del Potro some words of encouragement at the net that made him like sob, <laughs> you know, Djokovic had his own emotional moment as he left the court. I think, you know, this is the major piece that's missing from his resume, and it really bugs him that he doesn't have it. Or as Tamani Carriel pointed out on Twitter, maybe it just means that much to him to be playing for his country. Right. Not so much that this is the one piece missing from his repertoire, having won all the Grand Slams. I don't know how we can even get to the bottom of that as Mm -hmm. to figure out what the real cause was, shy of asking Djokovic. But he was all kinds of a mess after that match. Yeah, and I have to admit, I, you know, everyone looked at that match like, oh, that's a pretty bad draw for Del Potro, who's trying to come back, and also a bad draw for Djokovic, but... I don't know who predicted this, really. 
And then with the scheduling, Del Potro having to play at at like two o'clock the next day and got into several long matches. And I really didn't see him competing for the gold medal. He almost went out to Tara Daniel. Right. Lost the first set, ended up winning in three, and then somehow is able to parlay that into beating Rafa in three sets in the semifinals mm. and then pushing Mari to four sets in the final. Yeah, and I mean, back in the day, Del Potro was that player who could do that, who could run through all the top guys in a tournament, you know, here and there. And even when Rafa is in really good form, Del Potro has beaten him badly. It brings to the forefront of my mind thoughts about what could have been for Del Potro. Mm. All those cumulative lost years of playing top flight men's tennis and the damage he could have done on the ATP tour because he's I mean people talk about how his backhand is a liability and it's even more of a liability now since he's come back and doesn't have full strength in his wrist yet but damn if you're going to be having these kinds of results against these kinds of players with your less than best game Mm -hmm. what can you do when you're playing your best. Well, who needs a backhand, really? Not when you're rifling forehands like he was hitting against Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how men's tennis would look different if he had remained healthy all these years. Or if it would. You know? And I wonder what men's tennis would look like now if all of the major players were able to be playing healthily at the same time. Mm-hmm. Federer is out now till the end of the year, till 2017. Rafa is coming back from injury again. Stan's coming back from injury. You know, you just, you have at their best six or seven guys who could do just about anything. And if you could get those players playing each other at the quarterfinal round, what kind of fireworks would we mm. see? And we just, we don't know if we'll ever get to see that again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say that the Big Four era is done. It's not even about the Big Four, it's about like the really good six or seven. Mm. It would just be nice to see that once in a while without having to pencil in the top four seeds, whoever they may be, at a Grand Slam semifinal. Yeah. I mean, I think who really wants to see another Djokovic-Murray final, Grand Slam final? I don't. And I'm a Murray fan, but I'm just, it's just gotten boring, you know? So who are the winners? Run down the list of winners at the Olympics. Okay, so Andy Murray repeated as gold medalist, beating Del Potro in four sets. Nishikori beat Nadal in the bronze medal match. And that caused quite the stir on Twitter. Yeah. Because Nishikori took a 10-minute break after losing the second set. A second set that he led... 11 minutes. Okay. (laughs) He led by a double-break margin, was serving for the match, and was broken twice serving for the match. And Nadal ended up winning that second set in a tie break. Mm. Then the 11-minute break happened, and then Nishikori went on to win that set 6-3 in the match. And apparently the exchange at net was very curt Mm -hmm. from Rafa. He was not happy. He was uh, very, very unhappy. (laughs) He spoke to Carlos. Of course it was Carlos Bernardes, as it always is Mm -hmm. when some bullshit goes on. Not to say that this one was his fault. It's just that he just always happens to be there. He was talking to the tournament referee as well. You know, asking, is this normal? Is an 11-minute break 
bathroom break after a set normal? Am I just supposed to sit here and wait? Conchita Martinez with cause, a shrug. Conchita Martinez causing all this Twitter drama, <laughs> which what's the, what I'm assuming was a tongue-in-cheek tweet saying that Nishikori took a shower. And people are like, oh my god, mm. how dare he take a shower? <laughs> it's more likely he took a deuce at number two than a shower. Um, I think he was just kind of back there chilling. I didn't expect this from him. I found it to be very low and unsportsmanlike. And like a clearly Azarenka move. Because it wasn't a medical timeout, an off-court medical no. timeout. So what the hell are you doing back there? And why, as an umpire, are you... You're not even able to impose some sort of punishment, you know, because they're allowed to take a bathroom break. Mm -hmm. I don't even think it's within his power to, like, dock him a point or something. Either way, Rafa had a really good tournament. He won doubles with Mark Lopez, almost got a bronze medal, almost made the final Mm -hmm. of the men's singles. And he's playing Cincinnati, so he must feel that he can't be doing any more damage to his wrist. By playing all these matches right. and continuing to play again in Cincinnati. So we'll see what happens going forward. But it's just amazing to have him have him back playing that kind of tennis. Yeah, I'm really surprised at how well he was able to compete in Rio. That he was even able to play at a high level, you know. And so many matches back to back. And he's saying like the wrist is still hurting, but the doctor doesn't see it as a problem. So he's going to go with it. (laughs) The big story, has to be the biggest story of Olympic tennis, was Monica Puig winning the Olympic gold medal. And not just winning the gold medal, Mm. but beating a series of really good opponents. Beating Muguruza 6-1-6-1. Beating Kvitova. Beating Kerber, who seemed destined to win the title. That kind of symmetry with Steffi Graf. And she somehow, after losing that second set in the final, found a way to win. And from start to finish, if you were to talk about somebody who deserves to win, it really was her. Yeah, maybe we should start at the beginning with... We haven't recorded in a long time. So, I mean, the big stories at the beginning were Serena's out, Venus is out. And then Venus and Serena doubles are out. (laughs) Just like that. And so just like that, I turned off Olympic tennis. You know, it really like totally harshed my mood. But back to Monica Puig. Mm. She's the first Puerto Rican gold medalist in anything. Which was surprising. Mm-hmm. I've always watched her and thought that she was, this, she was a type of player whose talent didn't always match her results. And I'm hoping that this is something that can push her to some kind of shift in her career to make her... A consistently good player. Mm. If this doesn't, then what will? <laughs> Women's doubles. It looked for all the world that Hingis and Baczynski were going to win. Especially after they took out the Chan sisters so easily. Yeah. And they ended up losing in the final to Makarova and Vesnina in straight sets. And then in the mixed doubles, which concluded today, Bethany Maddox-Sands and Jack Sock beat... Venus Williams and Rajiv Ram. Venus Williams winning her fifth Olympic medal, four previous gold medals, and now a silver medal. And yeah, I feel like Venus kind of entered the mixed doubles. It seemed like as an, oh, well, I'm in Rio. 
and I'm not playing in the other draws, so I want to win a medal. <laughs> you At know? what point does Serena say, well, yeah, I'm going to go to Cincy and try and defend my number one ranking. Mm. Are you coming, Venus? And Venus is like, mm, I'm going to try for that medal. Yeah. Like, I'm going to stay here. And clearly, like, Serena didn't have any interest in playing mixed doubles, you know? Well, I mean, maybe she just had to make a choice. Maybe it was a Sophie's choice for her. Maybe. Number one ranking or get a gold medal. Because she was really torn up after that loss, mm. leaving the court. But then we have Venus and Rajiv Ram playing their first match. The double, the mixed doubles draw, there's only 16 teams. And so right away you're in the round of 16. And so you really only have to win four matches to win the gold medal. And so all the teams there are pretty decent teams on paper. Mm. And you could make the case that every round, it wouldn't have been surprising if they lost. Even in straight sets. Right. But somehow, the first match they played, they saved two, two match points. And one of those match points, Rajiv Ram hit a ridiculous reflex volley at net to save match point. And I remember watching it and thinking, what, like, watch them win gold now and that be this <laughs> crazy moment where they could have lost in straight sets right away. Mm-hmm. And they end up winning. Almost that fairy tale story. But after winning the first set in the final, they went away in the second, lost at 6-1. And then after being up 6-3 in the tiebreak to decide it, Ended up losing 10-3. 10-4, I think, or something like that. They just lost a bunch of points mm. in a row. Yeah, and Rajiv Ram double-faulted late in the tie-break. And that that first-round match would be a good reminder to not blame Rajiv for this loss. <laughs> because he saved a match point for them He's in the first the round. He's the reason why you know? they were there in the first place. Right. But with all these really uh, heartwarming surprising feel-good stories coming out of Rio and Rio tennis. We see a lot of people writing stories and tweeting about how, oh, look at Del Potro, he's crying. See, that's that's what the Olympics means to people. Mm. Pushing back against this narrative that we've propagated on the podcast, <laughs> we're guilty of that, saying that, you know, the Olympics don't really mean that much. Well, it seems that clearly they do mean a lot to some people. Mm-hmm. And even if they don't mean as much in the first round, like you pointed out to me today, by the time you get to the medal round and it's that close and you've been in Rio for a week now and you've had the experience of just having the Olympic experience and you're getting down to business, winning a medal is is a big deal for some folks. Yeah. And, you know, it could probably sound like sour grapes because Venus and Serena didn't win a medal. And if they had one gold, we'd probably be celebrating. Singles, you mean. Right. Venus won a medal in mixed yeah. doubles. But in women's doubles and singles, they did not. Seeing all these results, does that change your mind a little bit about the place in, of Olympic tennis in the calendar every four years? Um, I think it varies. I think it had a lot more importance when it was at the All England Club in London. And obviously... Brazil cannot replicate something like that, like the tradition and the prestige of that venue in tennis. And, you know, the Olympics has a lot of sports. It's not really their job to do that for tennis. I think it's a little odd because tennis is a professional sport and these players are playing all year for ranking points, for money, individually. So when you try to sort of make it into an Olympic quote-unquote amateur sport where people are playing for their country it's just i don't know it's like a little awkward like it doesn't quite fit 
you know, that maybe the Olympics don't really get tennis. What do you mean? I don't know, because at the end of the day, these players are here trying to win for themselves. You know, and you can say, oh, I'm playing for my country and whatever. But when you win, we don't say, oh, the USA won gold in tennis. And no, we say Monica Puig won gold in tennis. And stop you know? presenting the scores as Puerto Rico's up one set to nothing or Germany won the match two sets to nothing. People want to know who the players are. Right. Like, that just doesn't work mm. in tennis for me. But I, I take it back a little bit. I mean, the issue is more that the schedule is so tight. If they were able to accommodate it more seamlessly, I feel like a lot of the issues surrounding Olympic tennis would go away. If mm. people could feel that they could go and have this experience, play for medals and pride and country, and not have it affect the day-to-day, week-to-week realities of their tennis lives that would change a lot of opinions on olympic tennis yeah and i mean that's a problem with tennis itself the tennis schedule is so jam-packed that these athletes are playing too often already and then to add like a two-week trip to rio on top of that you're gonna mess up possibly their preparation for the u.s open you're changing basically how much money they can make during the summer and how many ranking points they're going to get because of it And we've seen a lot of the players who've been most vocal in support of Olympic tennis are the ones who can afford to not work, as it were, for a week or two. Like Venus. Or Rafa. At the start of the Olympics, there was a press conference given by the entire U.S. tennis team where they all sat down at a dais, pretty much. Everybody with a microphone in front of them. Serena Venus in the center, flanked by Sloan and Madison on either side of them. And then the teams kind of the team expanded outward on either side. I really enjoyed that the women were front and center and the men were on the outskirts. Mm. That made for a really good visual for me. It was quite satisfying. But also one of the journalists asked a question directed at Venus, Serena, and Sloan pointedly. And the question was to Serena, Venus, and Sloan too. Some of you have talked about how important it was to represent the USA. But I was wondering with the Black Lives Matter movement and the problems you're having right now in the U.S., do you feel like you're playing for something even bigger than Team USA? That you're representing something more important? And at that point, (laughs) I think, well, Serena, Venus, Sloan, and Madison all started looking at each other. And everybody who's listening and watching this is like, well, what exactly is going on here? Because why wasn't Madison... Including included <laughs> in that question. Um, and there's so many things at play, right? Well, I think at first Venus was thrown by the question and was like, um, I don't really understand the question. Yeah, she was So like, she asked her to repeat it. She said, is this a question for the African-Americans on the team? And the <laughs> response was, yes, well. And then Venus looked over at Madison Keys and said, do you want to be included in this Madison at all? Or And then they all just started laughing a little bit. <laughs> And then everybody just kind of deferred to Venus as the grandma on stage, as the one who would handle the question, right. who would take care of business. And she very pointedly did not handle the question. No. They just started giggling, like hysterically laughing, her and Serena. And on the face of it, to somebody who is not familiar with the one-drop rule in the States, mm. where if you even look remotely black, then you're black, maybe you're a little bit confused about Madison Key's 
ethnicity. But I mean, that's part of doing your research. Come on. Okay. Like you can't be asking that kind of racially charged question and make that big of a guffaw. You just can't. Well, maybe she pointedly left Madison out. That's the that's because another Madison element of has been cagey about questions about of her race. You know. I don't know how cagey she's been because that piece that you're referring to was written by L.Z. Granderson, mm. from whom I take everything he says about race with a grain of salt. Okay. And there weren't any real direct quotes from Madison recent in that piece. It was mm. all stuff that was pretty much said in the past. Oh. And so the gist of that piece was Madison wants to transcend her race and just be Madison. You know, Mm -hmm. this new age or new generation way of identifying and not wanting to and not wanting to have to be restricted by labels. That's something that's a a reality for many young people, people younger than our younger than us. Yeah. And I'm a little cynical about that, to be honest. That's probably a topic for another day. While you're maybe a little bit more skeptical and I've been down that road, I've come to a place now where I'm inclined to let people identify the way that they want to identify. Because having been an immigrant in Canada now for so long and being on the receiving end of folks wanting to know what you are all the time and feeling entitled to be able to identify what you are and tick that box for you, Mm. I get the pushback. Like, I'm at the point now where I'm like, it's none of your goddamn business. And I don't know if that's where Madison's coming from or how she feels, but it's, it's way too easy to expect somebody like Madison to be black lives matter and be that strong voice for black people yeah if she doesn't want that that's fine too i get how somebody could find or take issue with just wanting to be me and suppress that blackness but as a mixed person she has other parts of her as well right it is in a very big and real sense unfair to her to have to identify as a black person all the time And so that's part of the, that was something that went through my mind and your mind as well. When that person asked that question, like, was it pointed? Was she not asked that question? Not because she wasn't seen as black, but because they didn't feel like she identified as black. Mm. So that was another layer added to it. Right. And to be honest, like everyone was laughing at this woman who asked the question. It wasn't an entirely stupid question. It really wasn't. I mean, Venus... And Serena have shown throughout the years that they are very proud to play for their country. But it's not outrageous to think that a black person who is aware of the many ways in which black people suffer under the U.S. government and like the US, the American society, that they may not be flag-waving patriotic, <laughs> you know. And the Olympics has a history of being political when it comes to black oppression. The Mexico right. City Games with, with Tommy Smith and John Carlos with the raised fist in the air with the black glove on the podium with George Foreman famously waving the American flag. Meanwhile, America is in the midst of civil rights crisis mm. with Muhammad Ali coming back from the Olympics and throwing his medal into the river because while he was... Waving that American flag and being, yes, America, as a black person in 1960, when he comes home, he feels like he has no rights. Mm -hmm. He's that same oppressed person. It's something Jesse Owens went through as well. Used as 
a propaganda machine right. in Nazi Germany. But yet when he comes home in 1936, it's a, it's a totally different America he has to live in and reality for him. And so the, the fact that that question was asked in an Olympic setting, it's not without historical context. And I, I did kind of feel a little bit disappointed in how Venus kind of dismissed it. Mm-hmm. Well, she sort of laughed it off as if it was ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know. But I think it shows that the age of political action at the Olympics is over. And sort any sort of like political demonstrations by athletes in the Olympics are almost completely absent or silenced. But there's opportunity for it. She was given the question. Right. She could have easily answered it. Anybody could easily make even the slightest political gesture with all the access to social media. You don't even need official media outlets anymore. You can simply mm. make yourself the political Leslie Jones of Olympic <laughs> Twitter right. if you wanted to. It's just unfortunate that that scenario was turned into a bit of a, a laughing fest because of the way the question was posed. Yeah. And so while we could have gotten something really meaningful and worthwhile, it was difficult to then segue into what I would have expected to hear from where it started. Mm-hmm. There was just many moving parts all around from that single two-minute clip. Yeah, getting back to like the Madison thing, one of the reasons that I'm skeptical, this is bigger than Madison and less having to do with race for me. I'm skeptical of people younger than us sort of wanting to identify in a million different ways and sort of picking and choosing your own identity based on how you feel. Because I feel like it reflects this extreme like North American individualism. You know, mm-hmm. it's a it's a rejection of collective thought. It's a Starbucks culture. Right. It's like, how can I customize myself to stand out? And it to me, it ties into consumption. It's like, how how do I identify based on how I consume what I look like? You know, the idea that you can sort of make yourself is a very American idea. And it is a thread throughout our history. But this seems like like the logical conclusion of that Mm. to me you know say people our age we've been struggling to identify as gay for example like as part of a group or a community and i feel part of this as well like younger people are trying to sort of make their own identities apart from those big monoliths that they maybe they don't reflect how they really feel it's fraught because looking at it from the outside and making these statements, I'm always wary of negating people's lived experiences. So if mm. your lived experiences legitimately, you know, I really struggle on an everyday basis with being multiracial and how to self-identify and how that's how that interacts with society and how society then reflexively looks back on me. Mm. You know, that can be a very difficult thing to experience. But at the same time, where we probably have a little bit of a misgiving is the net effect from that kind of this is who I am without trumping one means of identification over the other is that it kind of negates the struggle or for people who say are black will look at that and say well okay you get to benefit from that now 
You know, you okay. already get to coast through life with your light skin and not having to deal with the rea- with the realities of being really dark and really black in mm-hmm. America. And so you don't have to feel that kind of oppression the way I did. And it kind of negates the struggles that people went through in the past to then get you to this point. Right. And, you know, in the U.S., if you are even a little bit of African descent, like, you cannot change the way that people perceive you and how the state perceives you. You know, because black people who are light-skinned are still victims of police violence, you know, are still being arrested on fraudulent charges. So I think you can identify the way that you want, and you should be able to, but also understand ways in which you are oppressed or ways in which you benefit because of the way other people perceive you, Mm -hmm. you know? And this is not to say that Madison feels this way one way or the other. A lot of this is our own projection onto the whole issue based on previous context from other people talking about it. Yeah, this isn't really about Madison. it's not about Madison. For me, maybe this is just like an old-fashioned way of looking at like political action. I feel like at the end of the day, you're either like part of the movement or you're not. You know, so you may feel like a very, you have a multifaceted, very complicated way of identifying as we all do. But at the end of the day, are you gay or are you not? (laughs) You know, are you part of this movement or are you not? So that's where I'm coming from. Okay. Where we might be getting in, getting this episode in under an hour. Yeah, I think we will. Two more segments left. We're going to do a see what happened was, and you're going to take the fast quiz again. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect the fast quiz to reappear on the podcast so quickly, but you are just so thirsty. But you know, for all kinds of education, I love trivia. I love taking quizzes, so I'm here for it. Let's do that first, and then get into the, the okay. see what had happened was. Are you ready? So, is this one timed? Are there any timed there's questions? N- there's no, there's no timing, but you have to be quick. I will cut you off if you're taking too long. Okay, let me take a drink of water first. I need to be hydrated. Okay, I'm ready. Martina Hingis and Sonia Mirza have called time on a highly successful doubles partnership. How many titles did they win together? 14. Did you look at this? No, I read your This Week in Tennis mm. last week. Name five of the women's quarterfinalists in the Rio Tennis Singles. Uh... Keys, Kerber, Puig, Kvitova. Those are all the semifinalists, right? Um, and... Wow, this is really bad. Too long, fail. Number oh my three, god, come on! <laughs> Tomasz Berdyk announced a new addition to his coaching team. Who is it? Um, Goran Ivanisevic. Yes, Denis Shapovalov made the quarterfinals in the Granby Challenger here in Canada. Well, they're in Canada because we're in Cincinnati right. now. Which other up-and-comer took home the title? Francis Tiafoe. Yes. How many official ATP losses does Novak Djokovic have in 2016? Um, three. Four. As of this week, the USA has 14 women ranked in the top 100. Outside of the top four, Serena, Venus, Sloan, and Madison name four of them. Coco... Madison Brangle, uh, Bethany Maddox-Sands? No. Really? Oh. Um, who else is there? Oh, uh, Christina McHale. And 
That's four, isn't it? Did you say four? Yeah, but you said uh, Bethany was wrong. Okay. Right? Oh, so I don't get another guess? Yeah, go ahead. So Sloan, Madison, Venus, Serena are the top. Um, God, I don't know. Much has been made about the number of withdrawals from Olympic tennis. Name five players, man or woman, who chose not to play the Olympics for reasons other than injury. <laughs> okay. Uh, Raonic, Team, Tomic, Kyrgios, and uh, Feliciano Lopez. Okay. Simona Halep won the 2016 Rogers Cup in Montreal. Who did she beat in the final? This is to test your, like, oh my God. recent memory yeah. skills. I have no idea. Madison Keys. Mm. <laughs> Novak Djokovic won the 2016 Rogers Cup in Toronto. Who did he beat in the final? Raonic? That's really embarrassing. I have no I really don't Kenny know. Kenny Shikori. That's really And terrible. honestly, now that you've said that, I have zero recollection of that. At the end of these Olympics, there will have been two Spanish players who have medaled in both singles and doubles. Who are they? Uh... Wait, like, ever? Ever, ever. Oh. Well, Rafael Nadal. Yes. And Conchita Martinez? Arancha Sanchez Vicari. Oh. So I'm not even going to tally your score for this one, because you did pretty poorly. That was really bad. Like, Why really didn't you bad. make that easier? That is easier. You were at the Rogers Cup. You should have been following. Yeah, but I wasn't at the finals. The, you can you all... couldn't have asked me, like, how many Grand Slams does Roger Federer have? Okay. <laughs> I always struggle with that. I always think he has 18. Oh. I always have to Google Don't that. inflate it. Do <laughs> you want to get into the see what ha- happened was? Yeah. So what had happened was this week was Jack Sock got into a little bit of a scuffle with Brad Gilbert on Twitter. A very polite scuffle. And it was all Brad's doing. Yeah, because Brad was really trying to draw his tongue, and Jack didn't really engage. So Brad issued a pretty mean-spirited tweet about Jack when he lost to uh, Taro Daniel in the first round. That was the first round, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Brad said, What a, what a absolutely horrendous loss for Rockham Sock to Daniel. Cannot believe that loss, even if he was under the weather. No excuses. No punctuation. By the way, all there, there's a, a comma. Oh, there is a comma just sprinkled in there randomly. So Jack Sock wasn't tagged in that tweet, but Jack Sock found it <laughs> and he replied and he simply said, thanks for the support, BG. I'm guessing you won every match in your career that you were supposed to. And then not having had enough of that interaction, <laughs> Brad Gilbert went on to say, well, well, I went on to win a bronze medal in my only Olympics. Mm hmm. It's just like it's like uh, a pretty savage clapback, and then to add to that, Jack. Okay, now I'm feeling less bad for Jack as the week went on because supposedly he had walking pneumonia, and you know he went to the opening ceremony the night before, whatever, whatever. But he was sick. The demands of playing doubles are drastically different from playing singles. Right. True, but <laughs> I kind of thought he was more sick maybe than he really was. So I was like, that was really rude, Brad, since you have clearly no idea what's going on. And then when somebody uh, brought it up with Brad and saying, like, dude, he does actually have walking pneumonia. Can you kind of lay off him a little bit? Brad said, oh, I didn't know that. Even though 
he said in the original tweet, even if he's under the weather, no excuses. So yes, you did know that. You're just being an asshole. So that was really rude. And Well, Jack also suffers from his history of being ill-conditioned. Whether it be SARS, bird flu, <laughs> you know, common cold, a muscle pull, cramping. Mm. Like, he's had to play at less than his best or retire from a lot of matches. And so, you know, I can get... I get to an extent how visually and viscerally Brad would have had that type of reaction mm. to watching that match. But come on, like there's no place for issuing that kind of tweet. No. As somebody in your position. I just, I could not believe it. And Jack handled the whole thing with grace, mm-hmm. you know, and with restraint. Because if he were quick to check a bitch, <laughs> as Barbara Walters says, mm-hmm. reading a Nicki Minaj lyric to Mariah Carey then there could have been some wig snatching. Yeah, and if he were reckless like I am, he might have said something really bitchy and then blocked him. You are really reckless. (laughs) Right. And then I would realize, oh shit, I have to see Brad in my daily life as a tennis player, so maybe I shouldn't have blocked him. And then you unblock him and follow him again Mm -hmm. after you've unfollowed him, and then he gets that notification in his email anyway, Then he got to send an email. And then he was like, apologizing. I thought this bitch already followed me. What happened? But, you know, that's why Jack is better than me in some ways. So that brings us to the end of our Olympic rap episode. We're going to be in Cincy this week. Well, I'm in Cincy for the entire duration of the tournament. You're here until Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did we mention that, that we drove to Cincinnati Saturday? It feels like three days ago already. We drove through... Um, I think it was a hurricane. I've never been in a hurricane, but it was pretty freaking bad. It was not a hurricane. As somebody who's <laughs> lived through quite a few hurricanes, that mm. was not a hurricane. Okay, we were on the 401 in Canada, and the rain was so hard. It was If you've ever been in a whiteout and driving in a snowstorm, that's exactly what it felt like. You could not see in front of you. It was kind of like, Jesus, take the wheel. You could close your eyes and have the same accuracy basically. you were driving in front of me and i but for your hazard lights i would have had no mm-hmm. idea where you were i was like well i hope i don't buck up into somebody and crash like i really thought we were gonna die it wasn't that bad okay but then we got to detroit and detroit had just had this massive storm and there was flooding all over the highway there were so many like multi-car accidents that we passed in like a very short period so it must have been really bad there too Or maybe Detroit's infrastructure just isn't built to withstand that that kind of... highly possible. So anyway, we made it. We're in Cincinnati. We did get to see, like, a set of tennis today. (laughs) The weather just does not look good all week. Yeah. Today, they managed to somehow get most of their matches in. But we were a stop and start. They tried to get that Osaka-Gavrilova match started three times before they finally got it started Mm -hmm. on the fourth time. And we saw, we stayed for a full set. Osaka looks really impressive, but still has a long, <laughs> a long way to go before yeah. she's a mature top player. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like the game is not mature yet. There's so much like brute power. The serve is so great to see. She has this inside out forehand that's just blistering. 
but so many errors. And the movement just isn't there where yeah. it needs to be to be a top player. I mean, Gavrilova is, I think she's been ranked high as high as 32. You know, so she's an established player, like, and she showed her experience today. And she's consistent and she packs a punch for such a little person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's what, 5'5 five, five and weighs this much, but <laughs> she's able to generate some speed mm-hmm. on her ground shots and her serve as well. I really yeah. enjoyed watching she her. She has play. an accurate serve. I did not quite enjoy how keen she was on being a lines person while playing. <laughs> yes, calling the lines not cute. No. Like, putting your finger up like that is only good if you're Usain Bolt crossing the finish line and Justin <laughs> Gatlin is in your rearview mirror like he was tonight. Mm-hmm. As for what the coverage from the body serve will be from Cincinnati, I'm just kind of taking it day by day, seeing what happens. There'll be stuff on sportscribe.ca. Definitely follow the body serve on Twitter. That's where a lot of the stuff will be coming from. Mm -hmm. And since we're going to be in different cities from Thursday to Monday, you know, we may be doing like a call-in portion. You know, we've never recorded when you and I weren't in the same room. No. So we might be doing that, which is fun. It'll be different, that's for (laughs) sure. All right, till next time.